the biggest thing people do in the Catskills, and I did it myself, it's really, you can't talk people out of it. They dig a bed and they dig up all these little rocks. And they say, oh, it'd be really cute to put the rock border around the bed. But what happens is the grass grows between the rocks. You can't weed whack it. You, have, you can't even weed it because you can't get your fingers in it. You have to pick up the rock, move it. It screams DIY. On this episode of Cat's Cast, landscaping a Catskills home with handy tips from a landscape professional in Andy's New York. Cat's Cast is sponsored by Hanford Mills Museum. Explore the power of the past as you watch the water wheel bring a working sawmill to life. Bring a picnic to enjoy by the mill pond. For more information about scheduling a tour or about their new exploration days, visit hanfordmills.org or call 607-278-5744. We featured Hanford Mills Museum in episode 39 check it out. Cat's Cast is also sponsored by Briars and Brambles Books, the go-to independent book and gift store in the Catskills, located in Wyndham, New York, right next to the pharmacy, just steps away from the Wyndham path. Open daily. For more information, visit briarsandbramblesbooks.com or call 518-750-8599. Gravel path? Pea gravel. I love pea gravel. Underneath this three inches of pea gravel, there's uh, probably four inches of crushed bluestone mm -hmm. for drainage. Mel Bellar is the owner of Zone 4 Landscapes, offering full-service landscape design, installation, and maintenance in the Catskills. He showed off an in-town property in Andes where Zone 4 is installing native plants, a bluestone patio, a creekside pergola, handmade, and pea gravel paths with very intentionally placed bluestone steps. And we haven't finished because we're going to plant some river birch trees back here, so I want to be able to get the tractor across. But I'm very keen on stepping stones working where you're, it's an easy gate. Oh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> it's got to be like 18 inches with eight and a half inches between, but because this is on the curve, it's like. Back at Mel's home, we dug into his history with landscape design and why he named the company Zone 4 to begin with. Well, my name is Mel Bellar, and we are in the town of Andes in the Catskill region of New York State. And I have a landscape design installation and maintenance business that is called Zone 4 Landscapes. We call it Zone 4 because when I started the business, we were classified as USDA, the Agricultural Department, Zone 4, which meant that it gets down to minus 30 degrees. Has that changed? Yes. They changed this to 5A, which means minus 25. Okay, so it's gotten warmer. Oh, yeah. And does that change your decision-making when it comes to landscaping or the types of plants you're choosing, or not so much yet? It does. I've always kind of experimented with some zone five plants, of which there are many that it would be nice to be able to use. And some of them did well from the beginning and some didn't, but I've started using more and more zone five plants. For instance, Japanese maples, which are not native. I like to use a lot of natives, but they're so beautiful and perfect for a small tree to create an atmospheric spot. And even if they're not native, they're not necessarily invasive or harmful either, right? No, 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 no. I don't use any harmful invasive species. But there are some plants that are sold for landscaping 
that become invasive, right? Like, you know, um, Japanese Barbary or whatever. Yes, yes. I don't know if that's still sold as a ornamental. They do still sell it. It's got a warning on it. Mm. Some are like absolutely outlawed, so you can't buy them. But Japanese barbarian burning bush are still sold. But most of the good nurseries don't sell them. But landscapers ask for them because the deer don't eat them. So you came to landscaping late in your career. Tell me about that. Very late. I came to New York as a classical musician, then I became a new wave rock musician and waited on tables, and then I went through a, a late life study program and became a computer programmer, and I worked in that industry for 25 years. And then I got to a very lofty position, and during the, we called it the dot bomb period, uh, I got job eliminated, and Peggy, my wife, she said, why don't we do something we love and move to the country to the, we bought this house a few years before and try to do something we love. And so I went with landscaping. Had you had any experience with landscaping or is there something that you really enjoyed? When Peg and I got together, we decided to get a place together and we wanted outdoor space. We ended up with half of the top floor of a brownstone on 88th Street, but we had the entire roof, which was 1,200 square feet. And it already had a garden on it and we completely redid it and just totally got into it. We loved it so much. And then we bought this place in 2001 and I couldn't wait to make a garden. And I was obsessed with it. And then I went to school at the uh, New York Botanical Garden and got a landscape, a certificate in landscape design. So in the city, you had a rooftop garden. In the suburbs, landscaping very often involves basically masking the basement area of the house with kind of a standard bush that can be kind of hedge trimmed and then a small plot of grass and maybe a tree. And then we have the country, which is different entirely. So what's special about landscaping in a place that already has tons of green? Are you working with it? Are you trying to incorporate some of the features that we already have? No matter what setting you're in, the primary thing that I want to do is combine function and beauty to meet the client's needs. The landscape design is really design. What I really love to do is to make something that really works for somebody and make it beautiful. So given the client and their situation, wherever their house is and what's around it, you know, some people need to screen from their neighbors. Some people, they have no flat area in the Catskill, so they want outdoor space that's flat for barbecuing and hanging out. So you make patios and decks and and then you need to get from your car to the house comfortably and maybe from your car to the back part of the house where people congregate. I mean, it's, there's a, a myriad of things. People want fenced areas for vegetables. The creativity is making that function really work and make it last. Something that's gonna really be permanent because a lot of landscaping is done really shabbily and it breaks down, so. Um, if the client is clueless about what they want, I start to interview them and ask questions to figure out, so how do you use this space? Because some people start with a complete blank slate and it's wonderful when that happens. But more often than not, there's things that I deal with, you know, that's already there. 
If there's any mature plant material that I can shape to make look nice and keep a sense of the place that's already there, I like to do that. And plus, it's nice to have mature plant material because it takes a huge budget to buy you know, mature plant material. So the whole design process, I really enjoy a lot, especially if it's a client that's into it. You know, I do a site plan in the computer using AutoCAD, and then we go through iterations until the client's comfortable with it. Talk a bit about the progression from the controlled landscaping to the wild, because again, here in the Catskills, it's not unusual for people to have expansive properties. Where does the landscaping end, and where do you just let it go, or is there also maintenance that should happen in the wild areas? Well, my philosophy of landscaping is that you start with a nice area around your house. It's even really cool to have, you know, some sort of barrier like a fence that just says, all right, this is a, a courtyard that's a, that's a garden. Then we kind of groom around the edges going into the, whether if you transition into the woods or further away, but you, the planting becomes more sparse and less maintained. I mean, less pruning, less uh, precious treatments. Um, in the country and in the Catskills, it really is important to have a sense of place. People talk about it a lot in the landscaping world, making a sense of place. But if you live in Westchester, in White Plains, the sense of place to me just isn't important. It's more about the architecture of your house and um, how the landscape enhances your house. But here, I almost never use straight lines because it's just not a straight line kind of place. And most of my clients' properties are pretty wild. Occasionally we get a village property and occasionally I've had some real modern situations where it's really fun to use different types of materials. But here, I, I you know, we use a lot of natural materials. You just used the word fun, and uh, that was something in some of the notes you shared with me as part of kind of your approach and philosophy. It has to be fun, and you wrote fun team, fun projects, fun clients. Tell me a little bit about the types of work that you gravitate toward. I want to enjoy myself, and I want to work with people that are into it and enjoy it, and both my team and the clients. and working together and making things happen and everybody takes a sense of pride in what we do. And if a client just doesn't seem like they're gonna wanna be involved in the collaboration and aren't pleasant, I try to, to avoid it because it's, I just, you know. I always say like, I do not optimize my business for money. If I did, I would do it entirely different. But I feel like if we do a good job and the client has a good experience, the money comes. And that said, this level of landscaping costs real money. Yes, yes. It's expensive. Landscaping is expensive. Materials are expensive. To have good people working for you, you have to pay them well. And um, so labor is expensive. I mean, it's, it's not cheap. People think it's going to be inexpensive a lot of times. It's changed up here, though. When I first started, uh, People didn't even get that I had to charge a design fee. I mean, I spent an inordinate amount of time going through that process I described earlier with people. Describe your team, who, who are you working with? I call Gus my business partner. He's a 45-year-old Mexican immigrant. 
We've been together for 13 years now. I, I used to drive the tractor and cut the stone, and now he does all that. I just go over the design with him and, and he runs the show. And he's got, I have a couple part-time people helping him when we need it. And I have a team of people who do maintenance. And we also, the maintenance people also help plant. And, and we get involved in the installation sometimes. And I have two full-time women and two part-time women gardeners and we call them the angels, the, the zone four angels and the guys we call the dudes and that came about because when I was talking to a group of women there was no good word to use. I couldn't say call them the girls, they didn't like the ladies, so I just said I'm gonna get around this. I'm just gonna call them angels. So we have angels and dudes. And they're okay with that? Yeah, they're great yeah. with it. Okay. <laughs> and, and angels and dudes aren't necessarily gendered. Sometimes angels are, do dude work and dudes do angel work, so. When do you suggest that someone consider professional landscaping versus doing it themselves? Because some people enjoy it, some people don't know anything about it. Is there a point at which you would say, hmm, this might be a, a good opportunity to consult with somebody um, and, and see what they could do for you? If you want anything done larger than some flower beds around the house or maybe to create a vegetable garden. It's very hard to do what I consider to be landscaping without getting a professional. I mean, let's say you wanted to have a 20 foot by 10 foot bed. If, you, if you're lucky enough to have a flat space to do that, it's gonna take you a lot of time and a lot of back breaking labor to do that because the ground is nearly all hard pan, hard clay with lots of rocks in it. And you pick out all these rocks and then you're left with very little soil. You have to add soil to it. We do everything now with the tractor, you know. It's hard, to, it's really hard to do much by yourself. You'll see patios that people don't create the foundation right and within a few years the, the stones are all askew and there's so many weeds growing between them you can't get them out you know, making some flower beds and uh, planting some small shrubs and perennials is, I wouldn't say you need to get a landscaper to do that. What are some of the other challenges of landscaping in the Catskills? So you mentioned clay. We all know there's tons of rocks. Every time you dig down, you hit a rock, but there's, there's plenty more. So what, what would you say you're contending with? The deer come to mind immediately. The deer are a huge huge problem in groundhogs. So the critters, um, it's hard to find labor. There are people with skills. There's excavators and stonemasons and carpenters, but the good ones are booked far in advance. You know, in metropolitan areas, they have a category of people called landscape contractors that landscape designers and architects work with to, to realize their designs. And there's masons that are used to working for landscape designers and landscape architects. Up here, a mason's got his own ideas. It's hard to get them to follow a, a specification. It's harder to get materials up here. You have to travel a, a long way to get materials. And ironically enough, materials aren't really cheaper up here. Everybody thinks they're gonna be cheaper. In the Catskills, most of my clients have really big spaces and so that is also a challenge because it requires a lot of materials. Nearly everything is on a slope. You go to a house and um, 
you know, one side is at ground level and the other side is up the hill. And it always involves steps or, or ramps and terracing. And people want a flat space to, to hang out. And terracing, retaining walls, and those are expensive. And using materials like rock. I love boulders. I, I, I use boulders as whenever I can because they don't move, they really give a sense of place. And most of the time, most of the time, we're able to, I, we say harvest the rocks from the property. We go with the backhoe, find the rocks in the woods, and if we can't get to them without cutting down trees, sometimes we literally will chain them and attach them to the backhoe and pull them out, and it's really fun. So we use a lot of boulders, and if the clients have them, we're liable to use more. Stay tuned for common DIY mistakes, Mel's favorite plants, and where to find them locally. All that and more after this short break. This episode of CatsCast is sponsored by the Central Catskills Chamber of Commerce, providing services to businesses, community organizations, and local governments in the Central Catskills region. Follow the Central Catskills Chamber of Commerce on Facebook and sign up for a weekly email of local events at centralcatskills.org. Thanks also to the Mountain Eagle, covering Delaware, Green, and Schoharie counties, including brands for local regions like the Wyndham Weekly, Schoharie News, and Catskills Chronicle. For more information, call 518-763-6854 or email mountaineaglenews at gmail.com. What are some of your favorite plants? I love ornamental grasses. The deer don't eat them. They come in different colors and shapes and textures, and um, they make a great backdrop for something that blooms, something that adds color. My favorite plant is the geranium macrorhizum. It means big root geranium. It's a ground covery plant that the deer don't eat. It smells nice. It's evergreen. It looks good year-round. I'm, I'm just saying this because anybody who hears this that knows me is going to say, he has to talk about geranium macrorhizum. I plant acres of them. It's just a magical plant. They completely like shade out any weeds. It's got a beautiful soft texture. I love hydrangeas. There's two types of hydrangeas up here that w work really well. One is a species called arborescence. Hydrangea arborescens is a cultivar called Annabelle, which has big soft white flowers. It blooms for a long time. I leave the flowers up all winter. They dry ni nicely. They look beautiful. And then another type of hydrangea is Hydrangea paniculata, which is a panicle hydrangea, and there's dozens of varieties of them, ranging from lime green to pink, ones that start blooming earlier, ones that bloom later. Uh, they just add so much color and texture, and they're nice shrubs, they look good all the time. You can prune them to have a beautiful branch structure, which is something that's really important to me. Their blooms dry nicely, and I leave them on the shrubs until the spring. We prune them off when we're doing our spring cleanup. I think winter interest in the Catskills is important. I actually love Japanese maples. I'm looking at the one outside my window. There's just something so graceful and beautiful about them, and they're not native, and I used to not plant them. They just used to not do well here. Climate change has, in some ways, helped us have more choices. What other favorite plants? I love catmint. 
Nepeta, the deer don't eat it. It has a nice long bloom time, and after you clip off the blooms, the foliage still looks nice. I love some of the heucheras, the coral bells. There's one called Autumn Bride that's particularly beautiful, and it blooms late in August, and it's got nice foliage and nice blooms. I really like foliage plants. Foliage is always there. I love nine barks. They have the bronzy red foliage all the way to chartreuse foliage. I love chartreuse foliage. There's a couple of varieties. The smoke bush I really love. What are the biggest mistakes you see people making who landscape their own properties? And maybe some tips that you could impart. The most important aspect of landscaping is scale. Don't put a little bitty bed in the middle of a big lawn and put some doodads in there and think it's gonna look nice. Don't make really skinny beds around your house. If you're gonna make a bed around your house, make it generous enough to where it's almost as wide as your house is tall. Use paths. People make big beds and no way to get into them. It's just a mass of plants and your eye just perceives this hodgepodge, this mess. It's like if you put a path in it, it gives it some structure and it allows you to get into it and maintain it. The biggest thing people do in the Catskills, and I did it myself, is you can't talk people out of it. They dig a bed and they dig up all these little rocks and they say, oh, it'd be really cute to put the rock border around the bed. And you can't talk them out of it. But what happens is the grass grows between the rocks. You can't weed whack it. You, have, you can't even weed it because you can't get your fingers in it. You have to pick up the rock, move it. It looks, it screams DIY. So then how do you make the transition between the bed and the, and the lawn or the meadow or whatever? First of all, I love a beautiful line. I always say the easiest thing to do in landscaping is to create a beautiful line. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. So all my designs, I think about that. But then you literally take a straight shovel and you cut a sharp trench, sharp angle through the grass, through the roots, so that the grass cannot grow into the bed if you maintain that edge. There are other ways you can make a lot of expense for yourself using like Belgian block or even bluestone, which makes it hard on curves. We use metal edging sometimes. Another big Mel rule is never put gravel against grass, against turf grass. A bed is easy to maintain. An edge on a bed next to turf grass is easy to maintain. I take the weed whacker on its side after I create the initial beautiful edge trench and you turn the weed whacker on the side and just go along and clip it off and keep the grass from growing in. But if you have gravel against the grass, the grass grows into the gravel and you can't weed whack it because you throw rocks all over yourself and everything else. So that's when I use metal edging. And then how do you keep weeds out of the landscaped portion? We weed it hey, by, by hand. hand. <laughs> I like to plant densely so that you don't need to put mulch. You're not gonna see the ground much after things grow in. It's dense so that the good plants have a huge advantage over the weeds, which we'll call the bad plants, and the good plants shade out, they deprive the bad plants of light so that the bad plants can't grow. But it also makes a really nice look. I can't stand the look of a plant surrounded by mulch and then another plant surrounded by mulch. That's another common thing that people do. It's an aesthetic that people have gotten used to over the years. 
the whole trend in uh, landscape design has been away from that for quite a few years. But Do you use landscape paper at all, or do you find that the dense planting takes care of the weed issue? Landscape fabric should never be used in a flower bed. We use landscape fabric, a very industrial version of it, under patios and um, gravel to separate the drainage gravel from the pretty setting gravel. If you put landscape fabric in a bed and cover it with mulch, unless you stay completely on top of the weeding of that bed, the mulch only stops stuff from coming up from underneath, and the landscape fabric only stops things from coming underneath. But seeds blow in, and birds drop seeds, and if you allow that weed to root, the root will go down through the fabric, and many weeds will regenerate from that root. Never use landscape fabric. Reflecting on some of my own struggles with landscape fabric over the years, and a few of those DIY stone borders that I can attest are impossible to weed, I asked Mel for some local recommendations for landscaping supplies. I love Stories Nursery and Freehold, not far from Wyndham. Kearns, which is between Wyndham and Prattsville. It's a very nice nursery. I love the Catskill Native Nursery, which is... Uh, Kronkson? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, Adams in Kingston has an amazing supply of plants. Um, I like Jeff Collins on Route 28, Mount Tremper. Locally here, Benjamin Brothers, Drybrook Road, right outside of Arkville, has nice gravels and they have a good compost. Jeff Collins has a really good garden soil that's a mix of compost, topsoil, and mushroom dirt, they call it. I use Jonathan Lefevre a lot for gravels. Qual Terry's right here in Roxbury. They have a lot of good plant material too. Let's end with something really kind of intellectual. Okay. Your music and technology careers, how have they informed your landscaping career? That's an interesting question. Technology's easy because the whole process of designing software, particularly websites, uh, software that has a visual component, being comfortable with technology and using AutoCAD and SketchUp and QuickBooks and Excel and all that sort of stuff makes my life a lot easier. In terms of music, I don't see direct corollaries. You know, I have a theory and composition degree and I played the piano and cello. Scale, proportion, lines, having lines that have a beautiful lilt and the way different things interplay, counterpoint. I mean, music's got all these aspects of like melody, harmony, rhythm. It's very similar in visual things, the way color and texture and contrast work, and also smooth transitions and the way it's all put together. I think there's a lot of similarities, but I don't ever think in those terms when I'm doing it. As frost warnings yield to the best of spring, it's a great time to reorchestrate our own Catskills landscapes. And if the complexity of those compositions outpaces the ability to implement them, well, it's good to know professional help is available. Catscast is a production of Silver Hollow Audio. 
where professional audio help can be found for podcasting, audiobooks, voiceover narration, event recording, and more. Reach us at silverhollowaudio.com. Don't forget to subscribe to CatsCast on your favorite platform and sign up for our mailing list at catscast.com for behind-the-scenes photos and new episode reminders every two weeks. Until next time, I'm Brett Barry. Thanks for tuning in.